Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. A lot of good gardening advice has been passed down through the generations, but some incorrect recommendations have trickled down as well. Today, I'm going to ask Keith to help us sort the myths from the truth. And I have a massive list here, Keith. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number one. Will Epsom salts improve the health of gardenias or anything else in the garden? Well, that's, that's a very interesting one. And the answer straight out to that is just a simple yes. Oh, that's good. How about good that? Good stuff. So Epsom salts are not actually a salt. It contains magnesium sulfate, which is a trace element, that will aid a plant's colour, fruiting and flowering oh, ability. Fabulous. It allows the plants to access nitrogen and phosphorus, which are the two main elements for growing. Mm. There's only one missing out there, and that's potassium. Mm. But you always need to check that you are absolutely using the correct amount. A well-composted soil using organic manures does not require any additional magnesium. Okay. Why are we using Epsom salts then if it's not necessary? Well, it's, it, it, it's just, it's an addition. So it doesn't matter if you, like we can, but it doesn't matter if we don't. No, it's, it's an old it can only help. gardener's tale. You know, I'll chuck a bit of Epsom salts. That'll fix it. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, as, just like having a Bex and a lie down in the old days. <laughs> I have to admit, I was trying it. My gardenia wasn't looking well a, a few years ago and I thought, oh, this is the answer. But it mm-hmm. wasn't. It really needed to be repotted as well. Yes. Into exactly. some fresh potting yep. mix. Okay. Right, well, that's good. So it's not going to hurt us. Will beer traps, coffee grounds, citrus, eggshells, etc., etc., deter snails from eating our vegetables? Well, I don't know about the etc., 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 but I know absolutely that fermented beer attracts snails and slugs. Okay. And the darker the beer, that's like you know a Guinness, oh, yes, the better, a stout or whatever, uh, or a dark ale. It's also good. Coffee grounds, you know, placed around the plants prevent the snails from crawling over it. It's just one of those things that they hate mm-hmm. running their little slimy bodies over. Okay. Uh, crushed eggshells, and that's also the sort of same sort of thing. So it's a physical barrier, making it more at sort of an unpleasant sort of experience for them. So you should turn them around. They should go, uh-uh, this is no good, I'm turning yeah, around. Well, hopefully, yeah. Okay. So, yes, absolutely. So it's a matter of having the time and the uh, the making the effort to put those, those the, the coffee grounds or whatever around each plant. That's right. Okay. Or do something better and go and get a snail, snail and slug bait, but get one that is safe. Um, safe. Yeah, there, and safe. there is one that's available that is the actual ingredient is uh, a form of uh, medicinal iron. Mm-hmm. It's a food grade iron. Very, it's quite expensive, but it's absolutely brilliant. Do you know the and name? It won't hurt anyone. Do you know the name of it? No, I can't remember the okay. name. But you can Google it. Okay, it's a medicinal iron. Don't yeah. forget that, listeners. Those organic methods do work. Yep, absolutely. But you might have to do a bit of snail bait as well. Okay, will drought tolerant plants survive without water? Once they're established, yes. Absolutely, they will. And it's normally in their second year that, that they mm. become established. So they've had a, a, a year to sort of grow into the, into their environment their and their climate and all that sort of stuff. So they've had a good drink for that first, that first initial establishment. 
But when you actually look at look at plants, they're generally associated with a with a drip system. So, and what I mean mean by that is it's not a an irrigation drip mm. system. It, it is a a drip. So, a three drip plant requires regular watering, watering. A two drip plant requires seasonal watering, and a one drip plant is classified as drought tolerant after it has been established. Yes. So that's that's basically the best way to the okay. safest way to so sort of put that. So it will cope, but ideally you would yeah. still water. You don't just stop. Yeah. Exactly. Right, the years up now. Stop. <laughs> that would not be good for the plant. No. Okay. Can we use salty or boiling water to kill weeds? Yes, you can. But you would be yeah. absolutely off your brain if you did. Oh. Salt will remain locked in the soil. So, you know, for a long, long period of time. So whatever else you put in there, if you want to put something in there, ain't gonna live. No. All right. So yeah, it's okay. gonna kill that. Okay. Um and of course, using boiling water, mm. it's hardly good for the plant. But it's hardly good for the environment because you're you're using an awful lot of energy mm. to um, you know, to sort of Create something to boil something up to go out there and to tip over a plant. So there's there's lots of other ways of removing remo- things like yeah. that oxalis that probably was in my mind. Yeah. Okay. So the best thing you can do with oxalis is use a substance called weed gunnel, which okay. is a, a um, like a weed mat, but weed gunnel biodegrades over about a period of six or seven years, and then you haven't got a worry in the world about uh, about that's the oxalis coming up through it. All right. Okay. So so yeah. Leave the listeners so, to think about that one. No, no salt, no boiling water. Okay. Will talking to our plants help them to grow better? Surely it will. Well, if you believe it and it, it, and it works, well, yes, it obviously works. <laughs> How do we know? I don't know that we do know well, that. But no, anyway. you don't know. Except <laughs> but if, let's if, chat if, away anyway. <laughs> but if, if you reckon it works and you're happy talking to them, well, I'm sure they're oh, very, very good them. listeners. They're, like, they're our babies. <laughs> We've got to talk to them. Uh, are organic pesticides safer than synthetic ones? That's a good Absolutely. one. Absolutely. The chemical pesticide companies have had to create stronger and more toxic sprays every year, year in, year out, to control the pests. And these pests, they're becoming immune Mm. to those pesticides Mm. and immune to their efficacy. There are as many, many other possible, if not more reasons around today than than ever there was before in these these pests. There's just Mm. so many of the damn things around. But there's natural ways of controlling pests. There was a wonderful company called OCP, which is Organic Crop Protectants. It's now been taken over by Yates. Yes, but they're, they're, they're continuing that, that the vein that they were work, working down, which was using lots and lots of natural and organic ways of controlling pests. So they produce things like eco-oil, yep. eco-neem, yep. Uh, and then you've got other, other substances such as uh, for chewing insects, you'd use something like Dipel, which is a Yates product, and that's derived from a, a natural bacteria. So that, that is we, natural. That's natural, okay, yeah. Okay, good. Bacillus thungeriensis. And then, of course, there's the organic forms, as we mentioned before, of the snail and slug killer made from the medical-grade iron. Okay, all right. So, yes. So each time, so we're going for organic. We've got to We've go, got to go organic. organic every you know, time. The more, the more of that rubbish you, you're putting onto your plants, then that's another real worry is that the chemical pesticides they're using today are classified or some are, some are classified as systemics, 
which means that it's taken in by the plant's vacuoles and then whatever eats it dies. And I Ta- mean, hello, that's us. Taken in by the plant's vacuoles. Vacuoles, vacuoles yeah. Vacuoles. What is a vacuole? Um, it's a, it's a, a cell that's, that's in the plant okay. itself. So okay. it's part of a cell that's in a plant. Okay. Well, that's no, none of that's good news. That's, no. So we need to stick with our organic without a doubt. Are all fertilisers the same, Keith? Oof, good. That's a big question. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, no. There's two main types. There's a, gren- a granitic synthetic form or there's an organic-based fertiliser. A synthetic form is derived from oil or petrochemicals, yeah. all right, and they contain heavy metals m- such as mercury, cadmium, lead, fluoride. People think that, you know, well, fluoride's all right. We're drinking <laughs> it. It's in, our, it's in our thing. <laughs> but the fluoride gas that they, they mm. can manufacture is actually used in warehouses to totally fumigate anything, anything that is living or anything that might be a seed, oh and it gosh. kills the lot. Okay, okay. There's lots of other heavy metals in, in within these um, chemical fertilisers, and they're all carcinogenics. All right, so I think I'll get, the, get, get, get your message here. Don't so, go for the chemical ones. So go for compost and always fe- feed feed them, you know, naturally. You don't mm. always think about the forest floor and the rainforest. Mm. And that's all, you know, something that's just totally organic and natural. So start from the ground up every Absolutely. time. Start from the ground and make sure your soil's good. And if your soil's good, then you probably won't have to use too no. many fertilisers. No. All right. Well, thank you for that. Now, is seaweed a plant food? No, it's not. Um, you know, you hear a lot of people ringing in saying, you know, well, I've got something wrong with my plant, but I'm giving it a regular feed of sea salt or something else like that or a sea, seaweed, a seaweed-based product. Yes. And it is not. Sea seaweed or sea salt, it's a plant tonic. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you taking a vitamin B pill yes. or a vitamin C pill. It's a supplement. There's that difference. The tonic right? is different yeah. to the fertiliser. What the sea seaweed solutions actually do to plant cells is, is increase their structure so it makes them stronger. It will also make them um, less susceptible to, you know, frost and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it also will strengthen up their root systems. Okay. So it's, it's a great all-round food, like a tonic, but yeah. it's not a food. Okay, so it's on top of the food. It yep. is a good tonic. A bit of a pick-me-up sound by the exactly. sound of things. So, uh, yeah. so, so if you want to use a, a liquid fertiliser, then, you know, there's lots and lots of, of good ones out there and Charlie Carp is probably my go-to. Yes. And the organic form of Charlie Carp. Yes, and things like Power Feed. That's another Power one Feed's that's, all right, yeah. yeah it's um, all right, okay. Yeah, it's all right. Fantastic. We'll move on. Should we bury our banana peels at the base of our roses? Yes, if that's what you want to do, bury them. <laughs> Is it going to help them, Keith? <laughs> well, it, it's going to add a small amount of organic matter to the soil and a small amount of potassium, okay. uh, which is one of the three main elements. Um, and potassium aids flower development. But, you know, if you want to you want to go planting banana skins underneath your plants, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> from what, the, a slightly sarcastic tone there, I think that we, what we really should be doing with our banana skins is putting them in the compost bin. I, I think that's a much compost. better way because then you're, you're adding it to everything else you're putting in there and you're just getting a wonderful range of bits and pieces. That's a bit like me wandering around with my, pat, my banana skins and my, um, uh, what are we putting on our gardenias, the um, Epsom, Epsom salts, salts and then yeah. just really wasting a lot of time, so I'm not going to do that. Okay, moving on. Does tea make a fer- good fertilizer? Um, the Another one? That, no. Well, actual fact, yes, it does. Oh, it good. makes it very, very good because it, it can provide nutrients to the plants. But not all teas are good for plants. Ah, uh, which tea, um, Keith? Um, well, we I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to say. In fact, you know, some can be quite toxic. 
Oh, yeah, so I thought you were going to say green or black no, or no, but no, herbal. Some of, the teas, some of the teas can be can be quite toxic to the plants. So uh, the simple reason I would say is why bother? Yeah, let's not. Do, it's another thing we don't compost and, and apply a good quality organic fertilizer. That's going to be just as good. Okay, I've got so many here. I don't know if we just keep going. <laughs> Go. But does a layer of gravel in the bottom of pots improve drainage? Yes, it does. Okay, they keep the drainage holes open to allow water to exit rather than drowning the roots like they would be in a bucket. The bigger particles in the bottom allow that water to, to pass through okay. in a proper potting mix. So okay, no problems at all. So what about, what about if you just put potting mix directly into a pot? Okay, so what's going to happen good is Good potting mix. Yeah, well, well good, good potting time. mix is eventually going to become bad potting mix mm. over a period of time. Mm. Well, that's when you're going to remove it. That's right because um, what will happen as all the bigger pieces break down, they become smaller pieces and those pieces become smaller again and then smaller and smaller and, of course, they all go down to the bottom yeah. and they clog up the hole and okay. all of a sudden you're getting no water out and then it fills up with water. Okay, so a layer of gravel. Fantastic. Rather than a pebble Absolutely. or two. Absolutely. Okay, all right. That's something I think we should actually make into a real po- another podcast because I could go on further about that. Okay. Um, does adding fertilizer to the bottom of the planting hole help a plant, a new plant to establish faster? Or do we throw it on top? What do we do? Okay. So if you had compost. Already in there, yep. You would mix that in, into, into the soil profile and that's a much better op- uh, option. So all the goodness is available to the plant's roots straight away. So you wouldn't go digging a hole and chucking a handful of granular citrus food in the bottom and then putting a, putting a root system on top of that because that's all an, an acidic reaction and they'll burn oh, the tip roots yeah, off. Yeah. Um, and, and the same applies to, you know, I mean, yeah, you could put blood and bone, you could put chook mix, but it's got to be mixed into the soil. It can't be just sitting there, you know, to come to, into direct contact with the root system. So okay. compost is the only thing that I'd put at the bottom of a hole of a plant that I'm going to be putting in. All right. So then you pop your plant in, would you then add some slow release fertilizer on top perhaps? Um, could can a can a person do that? You can. Generally, the the thing I like to do is is to is to get my plant into the ground with good organic matter around it, yep. and then just put some mulch over the top and leave it because you've disturbed that plant's root system. It doesn't need too much. And and if you go applying a heavy fertilizer on top of that, once again, you're going to affect the root system. You're going to burn the root system off. So okay. always give it a, a you know a few weeks. Go and check and see how healthy how healthy and good looking your plant is, and then give it a little bit of a feed. Then okay, all right, thank you. That's interesting. Do water droplets burn leaves? This is a good one. Where are you coming up with all these myths? Oh, I've been very very busy <laughs> researching, as okay. you can tell. Um, look, yes, they can, but only if you're watering on a very hot and windy day and you're applying only a small amount of water. And the reason that that is is that water is sitting on top of the leaf and you haven't haven't cooled the leaf down and the sunlight is hitting that and ah, it will burn the leaves. That's interesting. If you're going to water during the heat of the day, give it a real really big drench gotcha. you know, and, and let, it, let, let the water get down deep into the soil. And, and ideally you, you do it under like into the soil rather than on top of the plant if you can do that too. If you can. Makes yeah. more sense, yeah. Okay, good one. Does adding sand to clay soil improve the drainage, Keith? Well, yes, it would. I mean, if you brought in enough sand, it's going to certainly help a, a clayey soil, but it's going to cost you an enormous amount of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't be doing that. Okay. No. I don't like the idea of that at all. No, so the, the most effective way of working with a heavy soil, like a clay soil, is to do a simple test first, and that is to, to collect some of the clay particles, put in a jar with a lid, mix some water up in it first, give it a good shake, and then put that 
that jar down. And if that water takes a long while, long, 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 long while to, to, to sort of come clear, yeah. if it comes clear after about, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then no, the next thing I'm going to recommend is not going to work. Mm. Um, the only thing that's going to work in that situation is more and more compost by adding that. Mm. But if, the, if the, the water remains cloudy for a long, long period of time, I say overnight, then you can use gypsum. But you've got to use gypsum at two kilos per square metre if you're going to be using the powdered form. Eco OCP have produced an eco gypsum, which is a liquid form, oh, which you can great. actually just attach to a hose and, and spray yeah, on. Yeah. But you've got to come back and with both those products, come back and reapply it because it doesn't work forever. Okay. Simply, reapply how often? What do well, you mean? I would probably do it once a year. Okay. Oh, um, okay. The whole idea is, and I'm going to say this word, and please don't take offence, anyone, but what happens is with gypsum is it flocculates oh, the sticky funny. the sticky <laughs> particles of clay and forms little aggregates that the water will pass through. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Thank you very much for that one. Does baking soda cure black spot? Well. In addition to other things, I bet you're going to say. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, baking powder is an alkaline substance, all right, um, and it'll deter black spot, which is a fungus. Mm. Um, fungal diseases prefer an, an acidic condition in order to grow. So cure, no. No. But it, it can have an effect on it. Okay. By being that that alkaline substance that changes the environment that the fungus disease wants to colonise. Okay, now I can't help myself, but what will cure it? <laughs> um, you're, P, you're checking your pH, your soil, and making sure that it's it's good, and then adding things like rock dust to your um your soil. That's going to put lots and lots of trace elements and minerals that pest and disease can't break down. Okay, so good food, good compost, some some rock, rock dust. dust. They're the sorts of things that you need to be sort of applying and that'll, that'll eliminate that, that problem with, um, with fungal spores. Should we change our potting soil every year? Um, every year? Uh, no. If you're buying top quality potting mix, then that quality will last probably three or four years before you'd need to pull it out and, and, and redo it. It has to be aerobic, not Anaerobic. 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 <laughs> yes, I heard they were talking about it on the radio because someone sadly died of Legionnaires' disease recently, yeah. and they were it must. And, and that's, that's a, long, that's a fallacy that, that whether whether or not it's aerobic or anaerobic, if if it contains the disease, then you're going to get it if, oh, if you're not gosh. careful. But you'll generally pick it up in dry potting mix. So if if you open up a bag of potting mix and it is bone dry inside, oh, really? then the first thing you should do is put a mask on, yeah. put a pair of gloves on, yeah. and then go and get the hose and, and soak that through because it's the airborne particles that come out of that for the Legionnaire's oh, disease that, that then can get into your body. Okay, so it would be dry because it's been out in the sun too long? It, it, the bag's it been, been sitting in the sun? It might have been badly packed, but whatever. Okay. But when you've... Getting a bag of potting mix, very carefully open it and have a look to see that it is moist inside. Yep. If, you, if it, you open it up and it's dry, mask, gloves yeah. and because, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not just COVID that we've got to worry about. Gosh, it. no, Legionnaires disease. Legionnaires. Well, okay, so I did get off the track a bit there. So how often should we be changing our potting mix? Okay, so I, I would say probably every every three to four years. If you're buying a premium potting mix yes. and a premium potting mix does not come out at, at about $3 a no. bag that people just walk it off the shelf because yes. it is rubbish. Yes, and the really important thing also is to notice that the bag will have a tick on it, Australian standards tick. Yes. That will make – that will – 
ensure that it is premium. So Absolutely. That's okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. If sugar is added to the soil, ooh, will it make tomatoes sweeter, Keith? Ooh, here's the, here's the big answer on that one. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? All right. Well, sugar's not a nutrient that can be absorbed by a tomato plant to sweeten the tomatoes. However, certain tomato varieties and growing conditions, and that is, and this is something we're going to cover in another um, subject, yeah, Certain growing con- growing conditions and environments can make a tomato taste sweeter. Oh, all right, yum. So, yeah, and of course, some some tomatoes have a slightly higher sugar content than the others. Okay, all right. So it's the amount of water that a, that a tomato receives as to whether or not it's uh, going to have a high sugar content or low. Okay. And which one do you reckon it might be? More water or less water? I think it would be more. I'm probably wrong. More water every time. Make it say- sweeter. I want no, to... it's the other way around. It's less water. It's less water. Oh, don't worry. So let them dry. Let them go you, to get dry. You dry them out. Yeah, oh, you dry them out, and then they, they, they will really become very, very okay, sweet. Okay, that is interesting. Well, we we are going to talk about tomatoes in an upcoming podcast. So make sure you Absolutely. cover that, please, because I need to all right. That. And the other thing that's very interesting about that, oh yeah, is that all tomatoes have a pH that is very, very low, and that is around the four. To five range. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the pH has an effect as well. So okay. they've got a, they've, they've, they're always acidic. So when you hear someone say, "Oh, listen, I've got a, I've got a high acidic tomato or a, a sweet tomato," it's not true. Right. Okay. Um, oh. The pH is around the four to the five range. Okay. And just to, just I you were to say seven, but yeah, okay. just to give you an example of, about that low pH. Yeah. And tomatoes being very very acidic in that range, honey. Has a pH of four point three, ah, so honey is incredibly acidic yes, as well. But it's so sweet. sweet because it's full of sugar. I know that. I know. I think we're going to get we're going to stop soon. This is my last one. I'm going to okay. give to you. Should tree pruning cuts be painted to protect them from disease and insects? Absolutely. If you don't know how to prune a tree, then you paint every single cut that comes along. Because what? It, yeah, well, if if you I'm if you sure, don't know I'm sure to, that was going to be a no you, on that one. Well, if you don't know how don't know how to prune a tree properly, then you should be applying a, a substance to protect those trees. Because we've cut it badly, and then it's, because it's cut weeping it or something. No, because you might have might have cut it nowhere near a node, and ah. therefore the plant doesn't have the ability to cl- to close that off with its cambium layer, which is the yeah. the, the, the layer underneath the bark, yeah. and then just shut that that um, cut down nicely and neatly. Okay. But if you cut it so that it's got a long section mm. before the, 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 no, the, the, the node, yeah. before the node, then that will dry out and that's where pest and disease will come into that plant. Well, so then I think that we need to learn how to cut the tree properly Absolutely. before we start all that other business. And I tell you what, a podcast on pruning is going to be a real difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd done one already, but obviously not. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That list will go on and on and on forever if only we had the time. But you've, there's one that you've missed. Which one? Are there fairies at the bottom of the garden? Oh, we know the answer to that. That's a yes. Oh, of course there Gosh, are. Keith. So, listeners, how do we avoid being misled by myths? Well, don't believe everything you hear, obviously, because a lot of those things I have was – well, some of those things I was trying, <laughs> not not lately, but before. Always do your own research and if you're in a nursery, ask them lots of questions. Always ask lots and lots of questions. There you go. That's it. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au. 
and happy gardening. <laughs>